I think we can go ahead and get started. All right. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Um, you may notice I am not Houston. I'm John Bach, uh, founder and president of Puget Systems. Uh, I get the distinction of hosting our live stream today. Um, joined with me, I have uh, Kelly Shipman um, from our labs department and Dr. Don Kinghorn, also in our labs department, our resident uh, scientific advisor. And we're here to hang out with all of you for the next hour. Uh, we have a number of uh, topics that we, we can talk through, uh, a lot of interesting announcements in our industries this week. Uh, but of course, as we go along, if you have any questions, absolutely type them in the chat and uh, we will either answer them or we will admit that we don't have the answer. <laughs> so, um, boy, uh, Don, what, what's, what's the big news in scientific computing for this week? Oh my God! <laughs> Where did you start? Uh, it, it, yeah, totally. Uh, Nvidia. Oh, hey, I, I'm. I promised I would. I would apologize for this up front. I'm actually using a laptop. It's on my lap, and my feet are up. So sometimes I kind of squirm around a little bit. And I may. My video may bounce. I apologize up front for that. Uh, yeah, uh, Nvidia. Uh, you know, we've been waiting on on uh, a new GPU announcement from for from Nvidia for quite some time now, and you know there was speculation like, okay, are 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 we going to get another uh, compute GPU first? Are, you know, are we going to get another uh, consumer video card? Um, and uh, uh, because because GTC kind of got uh, it it went from from being the the in in person meeting to going going to uh, live streams, it's still actually going on. And this started basically in March. So they're, they're just, they're recording all of the talks and doing all that. And the keynote for GTC, which would have been, you know, several weeks ago was yesterday. Mm -hmm. So that's when um, uh, Jensen got up there and announced the new, uh, the new GPU architecture, the Ampere, uh, Ampere GPU. Um, and in particular, the 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 product that was announced is the uh, A100 Tesla. Um, that is not of this is not of interest to like gaming and even these things don't have display. Yeah. They're not even cards. They're modules that that sit flat on on the, on the motherboard and there's a whole bunch of them it, it's really for scientific computing and for it's heavily oriented the changes they made are heavily oriented for machine learning and ai what what has uh, changed? like what is without getting maybe too deep into the technicals like in layman's terms what's what's new what's different yeah the, i i looked at um uh, you know, for, from watching the keynote, I was like, wow, sounds great, but who knows? Uh, but there is a technical doc uh, up, a technical blog post up from the actual hardware architecture uh, architects that did this thing. And it was pretty juicy. A um, lot of stuff in there, but it, it, it comes down to four things. And, and um, uh, this stuff will translate in, into the consumer side, too. But a lot of this is really, this is definitely a machine learning AI processor. It's, it's heavily oriented. I mean, it should be too, because that's, they're just, they, they're ruling there. Right. Um, but I broke it down into like four kind of big changes. Uh, big change. It, first of all, this is a major, this is a pretty significant architecture change. 
So, um, and 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 just kind of TLDR or whatever. The the worst case performance improvement for this thing is like one and a half to two times. Nice. And and the best case is ten to twenty times speed up over Jeez. over the old architecture. It's really significant. I mean, this is a big leap. This is really not. You don't see uh, performance improvements that much anymore. Yeah. You know, so this is really nice. Nvidia is still. They're really still cranking. They're on their game. Well, and what mm -hmm. what are those use cases that are like? The, where are we going to see the twenty x improvements? What what are those use cases? A, a, a lot of the machine learning stuff. Okay, so it's like specialized yeah. hardware, tailored hardware for that machine learning work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. They uh, some really really cool stuff. The 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 biggies. Okay, I broke it down into kind. Of, there's there's a lot of things listed, but there's four things that I I saw that were really like um, the most significant stuff on here. And uh, the the one, and this has to do with compute and stuff like that. This is uh, they have a new Tensor Core, um, and um, you know the Tensor Cores was a, a thing they introduced uh, in Volta, and you know it, in it, for a couple generations now they've had it, and they've got it that in Turing. Um, but uh, this is a whole new Tensor Core, and this this one is really really serious, and just kind of as a, a mental model of what this is really kind of like now it's more like what you would see on a cpu as for like something like avx avx2 avx512 these, these vector units that's kind of more like what the tensor core is doing and the the big change big change the the original tensor cores were they were basically low precision floating point okay it was like fp16 mm -hmm. and it was it was that's how they they uh, they essentially double performance by doing that because it's just a smaller a smaller data so they can put twice as much data into the registers and do the compute. And it's because on machine learning we just don't need that precision, right? We need to do just raw amounts of calculations, but we don't need precision. It, it was interesting. Um, they, I think Jensen even admitted that most people use a 32-bit floating point for oh, everything really? okay yeah because the the 16 bit you lose enough precision and you don't have enough dynamic you don't have enough range got it okay there, you can only go so small or so big and and that causes numerical instabilities and things will blow up um but now the the new tensor cores is for all of the data types so and they've added more data types so there's tensor cores for there's there's a, a new data type called it it's TF32, it's Tensor Float32. Nice, they got to get their branding in. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. They're they're calling everything tensors, but uh, you know this looks uh, this looks a, really a lot more like what I have in my head for vector units on the CPU side, and and in fact that's how they're that's what they do here. The when you when you flip in on the tensor cores. In any of these data types, they're, they're, uh, what happens is you do get some reduction in precision, even though it's saying uh, TF32 or TF64, um, but it's it's in a different way. You still have you still have the same number range that you have in the original thing, so it's a drop-in plug-in yeah. for anything that you're doing with those with the original data types. So it seems like but, that makes it easier for developers to utilize them. They they have to absolutely. This is brilliant. Okay. This is this is really really quite good, and and uh, the tensor core. It you know 
itself, kind of what happens in there, is it's something called fast multiply add. This is FMA. If you if you look at CPUs, they talk about AVX, AVX, FMA3 or FMA4, something like that. That's fast multiply add. That's that's a fundamental operation. It's basically uh, A times B plus C. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's two operations in there. With an FMA unit, you can do that in one clock cycle. So the, the gigahertz rating for or whatever for a, for a processor, that's referring to the clock, the number of times the clock flips over every second. And for every time the clock goes, that's when instructions happen. That's when data moves. That's when instructions happen. And so the, the FMA unit can do that, that those, oper- those things that would take multiple operations, it can do it in one clock cycle. So when you flip that on, you essentially are doubling your performance. And that's basically what happens in all these data structures. When you do the, the tensor core version of it, you, your performance is essentially doubled. And it's massive, massive. The, the, even the standard HPC, you know, 64-bit floating point, that's double precision floating point. That's the standard for scientific computing for ages. And um, uh, that is almost like 10 teraflops on this GPU just by itself. It, consumer GPUs are, are, like, re, are like pitiful. This thing is insane. In fact, that uh, 10 teraflops on a, one of these GPUs is almost as fast as the first top 500 supercomputer that I worked on. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It was like 11 teraflops, so when and you, it ranked on the top 500. Wow. So it's when insane. You, when you hear about things like this, like 10 teraflops, is that that takes into account both that it has like it has more transistors, but then also now you have these optimizations, these fast multiply add optimizations you can do, and like those things all combined give you this new teraflop number. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it, it's heavily geared towards the things the GPU is good at, you know, like doing matrix algebra, matrix math, um, and the GPU just screams at this, and they they made a lot of architecture changes to Im- improve that even more. Uh, but that but the data types is really cool. So tens- new tensor cores. And this is this is a biggie. That's a big deal. Um, and part of this is they've they've added something called a B float. And and um, this is this is kind of key because this is underlying a lot of stuff with, that's going on with the uh, tensor cores. Uh, this is cool because uh, Intel added this in the new Xeons too. Uh, uh, B float. That's that's where you take. Floating point numbers are like, you know, 1.024 and then it's an exponent to the minus seven or something like that. And so there's two parts. There's there's that the the numbers part down there that, that's called the mantissa. And then there's the exponent. And the exponent is what gives you the range. That that goes to like really, really small or really, really big. Okay. And uh, one of the problems with these lower precision is they underflow or they overflow. You, you, you get numbers that are too small to represent or they're too big to re- represent and then you just get garbage and your things crash. That's why, that's why the original tensor cores and the FP16 was a little bit iffy to use some places because things, jobs would blow up. Uh, but this is way better. And uh, B float, what they do is they, they reduce that mantissa. So you lose some of the, the number of digits of precision but you maintain the exponent so you don't underflow or overflow 
So it's a lot more numerically stable. And you can and you can double the performance. Intel is doing this on the CPU side too. They've they've recently added that. Um, they need it for their machine learning stuff. They're trying to compete, you know, on this. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. nice that it sounds like Vflow is something of a standard too, which is great because then the developers can take advantage of it regardless of where they do their compute. Yes. So that sounds very similar to the TF32, where it's it's a feature now baked into the architecture that makes it easier for developers to take advantage. Oh, absolutely. They did a bunch of stuff to, for developers. Um, but that, okay, that that's one. I you know this is this is really interesting stuff. I could talk <laughs> for a while on that. But anyway, new tensor cores, big deal. New data types, big deal. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. The next thing, which is like, was cut was unexpected on this, was what they call a MIG. That's multi-instance GPU. If you look, if you look at the 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 architecture for this thing, it's like it's they kind of, you know, who kind of led the the way on some of this stuff, AMD. Mm. You know, the you know that chiplet design that they did with the the, um, Threadripper and all that, uh, where you know where they kind of have things broken down and you know this is similar but it's all on the same die, it's all on the same chip, but so what they did is they've got. Uh, it's like there's eight separate GPUs on here. Now they're all connected with cache and memory. And, but they have the ability and there's effectively like one of these that's not on. It's either, it's either reserved for something else or they, it was just too much power uh, draw to actually have all eight. I don't don't know, Um, but there's seven. Oh, good grief. <laughs> seven, whatever. Seven of these things. And the thing that... This is amazing. What's really cool here is this MIG, this multi-instance GPU, they can do uh, they can do a seven-way cache and memory isolation for these, these units, these GPU units. So this effectively turns that one GPU into seven GPUs. And they all have their own cache, their own memory space. They're isolated. Hmm. So, so the the you know the big, I, I could use this for stuff I'm working on for Puget, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cloud vendors will love this because they can break these GPUs up now seven GPUs for each GPU, but they can virtualize it in an isolated memory space. Is, this is this was really cool. They they sliced up the GPU. How is that? So we have a question in the chat. How is that MIG different than the current MPS? Uh, okay, this is this is this is strict um, uh, memory and cache isolation. So so this is this is kind of like uh, old school uh, old school uh, uh, processor slicing, uh, but this is in hardware. Okay, so these things are these things can be switched, isolated in hardware. So it this is new, this is different. Um, is and that, there's is that going to have like does that have impacts outside cloud? Uh, that will be the main thing right there. And and uh, it this is a place where okay now you can you can have uh, a whole bunch of you can essentially multiply by seven the number of GPUs you have for like serving uh, inference on uh, AI models and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- for virtualization, this is this is huge. 
um, because now you can give people an individual GPU. You can give them seven per each one of these GPUs. You can have seven different, really separate GPUs virtualized. And that seems like that's a big deal, especially for inference, because this seems like this is pretty dramatic overkill for a lot of inference. It could be, yeah, absolutely, totally. Uh, so, so the yeah, the cloud providers will love this. I like it too because um, you know the the appliances that 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 we're working on are intended for multiple users, and this is a way to um, to really expand quite a bit of uh, multiple users that can be supported on on one of our servers. Okay. So this is cool. I, I like this stuff. Um, there's there's a kind of that goes along with that is there were some some significant improvements and changes in the memory architecture. You know, uh, first of all, this great memory, it's just more, more better, okay? There's 40 gigabytes on the on this uh, card. Uh, it When it segments yeah. out, you get seven GPUs with like five gigs. That's kind of how it works out. Um, but uh, this this stuff is also on PCI, uh, PCIe Gen 4. And it has something, uh, SRIOV. This is a single root uh, IO virtualization. So that that's really related to the the MIG, because this is uh, this is um, a way for the CPU to uh, have I/O virtualization to these seven different GPUs. Okay, so this this kind of ties in with MIG. Okay. Uh, so so memory memory changes in there that accommodate this uh, this now GPU slicing this hard actual hard slicing in the in the GPU. Um, Okay, so that's so we had tensor cores, we've got MIG. Yeah, and talking uh, about just like raw bandwidth, we had uh, some sec posted in the chat uh, that you know memory bandwidth goes up another one point seven x as well. Uh, oh, so, it's insane! I mean, just the sheer yeah, yes. built into this is also impressive. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. That's what I'd say. More and more better. Yeah. I mean, almost everything doubled on this thing at least yeah. doubled. Now in the DGX in you know Nvidia's like their own baked implementation, is that still PCIe four or is that? They're using Epic. Oh, that's right. They are. They're using AMD. Yeah. They've got PCIe four. That th th that actually is really really a cool subject. John. Yeah. And, and is, this, is this a use case where like you actually can use that? Oh yeah, totally, absolutely. Okay. So the the okay, um, okay the ne my next thing the, <laughs> okay. the number three, number three okay. here you know what, what three I, of the you know what I like about all this is like you know this is this is like in the layman's terms you could go way more complicated and I love that like I understand about half of what you're saying but you still have me excited perfect <laughs> <laughs> good balance um, the 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 next big improvement here is is IO okay just in general there's a new NVLink okay so this is a new generation of NVLink and this doubles the performance of the NVLink. NVLink is the GPU to GPU direct communication. Okay? So so that brand new NVLink doubles performance. That's fantastic. Um, uh, another thing that they've got in here, now they own Mellanox now. Mellanox is, they're the company for uh, high-end uh, interconnects. Network interconnects, InfiniBand, and high, high, really high performance Ethernet. Uh, that's that's Mellanox, and that's that's basically what drives. That's what interconnects everything on all the supercomputers and stuff like that. Um, they're part of Nvidia now, mm -hmm. um, so they've they've made some nice uh, advances with that, and they have a, a thing called Magnum I/O, and this is for for networking. 
um, that will allow like a communication across the network directly from GPU to GPU on different nodes. It, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of going on in there. So so this that's another that's a big I/O improvement that makes the the machines a lot more uh, homogeneous when you have a, a big cluster, a bunch of these things. Um, I don't know really the details on that yet, but but that's cool. That's really that's significant. Um, and and then on the I/O, the PCIe Gen four. Now this is that's a big deal because those gpus have to communicate with the cpus and that goes over the bus and and on the uh, pci3 that was a, that was a problem that was slowing some of their stuff down um, ibm had pcie4 like years ago and on on the ibm power architecture and that was one of the things with the with the NVIDIA GPUs on, on that power architecture, it was really nice because it was fast communication to the CPU side. Um, so, so these are PCIe Gen 4 devices. So now they can take advantage of that. And that's why their new big box, right? Their big node, $200,000 node is on, on Gen 4. They're using AMD Epic because AMD has, they're doing, they're doing uh, Gen four on their in their CPUs. Okay, got it. And I assume the GPUs are still NVLink interconnect, but then they connect to the CPU via Gen four. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, and is, that's it, how is it, it a dual socket system? Yeah, that's a dual socket. They you know okay. they they need the they need the lanes. That's another thing. They're getting lots and lots of lanes from from uh, from Epic. Um, yeah, it totally makes sense. I saw that. I was at first, I was surprised, and then went, "Oh my god, yeah! Well, of course you use an AMD for this." Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. now, now, Intel, it, um, Intel could have done PCIe four a couple years ago, and they did not. I think it was a mistake on their part to, to honestly tell you the truth. Um, they they had they had kind of technical reasons from with uh, software vendors and stuff like. They had some problems that they was like, "Okay, we'll hold back." Um, but they've got it there. They'll be new Intel architecture will be on Gen 4 too. So there's an okay. uh, opportune question in chat here um, asking, so now with PCIe Gen 4 twice as fast, right, as Gen 3, are we, are they getting close to NVLink or is NVLink still like in a class of its own? Well, they just doubled NVLink. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, NV, see, NV, yeah, this, they just doubled the performance of NVLink. It's actually kind of under the hood, still the same, but they've they've increased the uh, the number of connects and stuff like that. Okay, so every time PCIe gets a little closer, NVLink leapfrogs them again. Yes. Okay. Uh, but but yes, the the answer to that question is yes. The uh, PCIe Gen Four is really really good, and it's um, yeah, it's it's in that realm of what the last gen of uh, NVLink would be. I mean, yeah, that was. I see. It's really good. Um. Another question that came up in the chat, if you don't mind me hopping in. Oh no, uh, no. So talk no, about power great. draw. So there was a there was a power yeah. question early on in the chat, talking about uh, you know we have these like two thousand watt boxes, and a lot of times with these high end GPU boxes, you have to do two forty volt uh, in order yeah. to get that much power into the system, and so the question becomes, well, okay, let's say you're not in a data center where you can run two forty volt power. What do you do? How do how do people in the lab or even in their office approach these like high wattage boxes well th yeah that's really good because yeah these G these gpus are like the tdp on there is like 400 watts you know and they're and there'll be a lot of those in a box 
Uh, so, so yeah, huge power draw. And, and but yeah, that's a really good question. And this is a this is a design consideration. This is something that I always look at when I'm getting crazy ideas of stuff for us to offer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I m- one of the the limiting factors there is like, okay, how much compute can you put yeah. on a standard like twenty amp one twenty volt line? Yeah. And we talk about that a lot internally. It's funny, you know, like we don't talk about compute power per rack or whatever. We talk about per circuit. How much yeah. can we pack mm-hmm. on a circuit? Yeah, and th- and that's a that's a that's a practical limit. That that's a that's a practical limit for workstation design. Yeah, you d- you don't want to overload uh, circuits. You don't want people to put this in their home or whatever and trip it every time you know the hair dryer goes on or something. Yeah, which might happen anyway. So if I understand the question correctly, then so part of the question ca- was colored by well, okay, what if I get like a up volt uh, a voltage step up UPS then so that I can provide enough power to the but you're really just moving the problem because you're still going to have a problem then powering the UPS at 100. Yeah, you have volts. to power the UPS, and that's why you know uh, higher end UPSs go to 240 volt. You know, you might you might put that hook that into a, a twenty or thirty, maybe even a forty uh, forty amp um, uh, two forty volt line. Yeah. For those for those bigger for the bigger standard UPSs, you go beyond that. You go into data center, then you have special wiring. All right. So if you're and outside, they usually go. go ahead. Yeah. So if you're yeah, outside but, the data center, then you basically consult your electrician. Yeah. Ex- yes. Okay. Uh, but that that's a design cr- criteria for us. Yeah. It's like okay, how how much can we do that's in, that's a practical deliverable? Well, and what is that on, number then? So if you if you're looking at you know wattage draw from the wall, like what what number do you think is safe to put out in a like a consumer like product? Well, like fifteen or sixteen hundred watts. Okay. Total, and I mean, and that's pushing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's assuming that that it's on a twenty amp line. Right. Because uh, you have to leave overhead. And that that's why um, uh, you know that's why like consumer level uh, UPSs uh, are you know you can get you can get them that they're the volt amp rating is like uh, two kilowatts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit mm, funny in there. It's not it's not really delivering that much. Um, but but yeah, that's limited by the 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 current available. Uh, on a on a on a standard residential or, or commercial line okay. on okay. a one ten one ten one twenty volt line. So see that's why that's why we don't do RGB. We need we need all those watts. Yeah, yeah. We don't have any. To hey, spare. you're more wasted. Okay, that's number four, right? What's what's number? Yeah, four? There, there's another one. Okay. Uh, yeah. So so we had we had new tensor cores. We've got this multi instance GPU thing. Uh, we've got all these new I/O. Uh, all over the place, and it p- plays in with uh, AMD getting a win on that. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the the fourth one that I put in there was miscellaneous operations, and and this is this is stuff for this is stuff for the developers. Okay, Nvidia is formidable. I don't know if anyone can unseat Nvidia for like machine learning at GPU compute, accelerated compute. Because man, they support their dev community. Hmm. It's it's just it's they that was brilliant. That I, I always praise uh, Nvidia for this because they, they just did they set they set the bar really high on ecosystem. Yeah. Um, but they've added there's a there's a new CUDA there's CUDA 11 which will bring in new features to take uh, that can take advantage of the uh, A100. 
Um, and there's they ha they've added some things in there. These are miscellaneous things like asynchronous operations. So uh, uh, like so you can so you can uh, initiate like a copy or a read or write or something like that, and then immediately return from it. You don't have to wait for it. That seems weird so to say happen. with a GPU where like the latencies are already so low. We're like we've gotten to that point oh. where we need that. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 but you do you do you do hit that definitely with GPU because you got to do transfers a lot of times even back in uh, CPU space oh, and stuff like that. Got it. Okay. So you can issue some of these things and then you can go on computing on on other units of the GPU the the streaming multiprocessors. Um, they can keep doing on the data that they already have. So you can you can. Um, yeah, so you can you can you can remove the the synchronization barrier from that, and then along with that, you have to have barriers because there's times when you have to be able to say no, we cannot go until this completes. So they so they've got uh, asynchronous operations um, uh, and barriers, and they've added a thing called they're calling uh, task graphs, and this this is kind of um, like repeated operations that are going to go on in the GPU. They can be they can be like uh, buffered into uh, uh, operation tasks in, in in like a graph structure, and then that can be instantly repeated. So so this removes again this removes some of the the cycles that are needed to uh, like pull more data in and do more calculations and stuff like that. So uh, so nice improvements there. Um, oh and. <laughs> Okay, another one that's really cool that I really, really, really like, and this is in the miscellaneous stuff. I put it in miscellaneous, even though it's really great, is they've added uh, sparsity. Um, and, and, oh, uh, I heard about that. Right. Yeah, this is, this is cool. This is, this is another potential of like doubling the performance. Um, and uh, so, uh, and, you know, kind of, a, kind of a way to think of this sparsity is, you know, these are, uh, GPUs are great at these big matrix operations. So if you imagine like a screen, you know, like a screen window, a screen door, something like that, a big screen. Now, it, that's kind of like a matrix, right? So if uh, imagine that there's number in each one of the little holes in the screens. If that's completely filled, then that's called, that's dense. That's a dense data structure. And that kind of data structure is the, the most efficient thing to feed through any kind of processors. Right. Um, and GPUs are great at this. Um, now, what happens? And again, they're thinking about uh, AI here. Is if you're training a uh, a big model, big, you may have billions of parameters. Those parameters are essentially in matrices like that. And as you're training, when you start off, this will be completely dense. But as you train, you improve those parameters because that's what's actually defining your model to make it a good fit. And as you do that, some things become more needed, and other things become less needed. And and over the course of this of uh, training run, this happens all in a lot of different kinds of places. Um, but what happens is a lot of these things go to zero. Okay, so now just imagine now that now instead of having numbers in all those little screen spots, a lot of them are just empty. They're yeah. just essentially zeros in there. You don't want to use that in compute right. because then you're just multiplying or adding by zero. Yeah, so you still have this huge matrix that's using up tons of memory and compute. Most yeah. of it useless. Most of it useless. Okay. So that's that because that's a sparse data structure at that point. That 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 becomes sparse. And what you want to do, and that's inefficient to compute. So so what you try to do with sparse methods is you you. 
uh, each row and column of that has an index. So you try to keep the index. You try to throw out everything that's smaller than some value. You essentially just say, yeah, okay. that's zero. Yeah, close enough. And you yeah, just, I don't care. Yeah, you, and what you do is you repack the data so that it is dense. Right. And that's what goes into the compute units. Okay. So yet and, another thing then that now it's just flipping a switch. You turn on sparse mode. So that, that question just came up in chat. So like, is it as simple then as like turn on sparse mode? As a I think it'll. I think it could even just be automatic. Oh, you're right. Sure. Yeah, mm. because it can detect if it's sparse. Yeah. This is. Yeah. I don't know the details on on how what the programming APIs are going to be for some of this stuff. Um, but there's overhead to do this. Okay. So it's not just a complete win. But when you start getting a lot of sparsity it really does it's significant to go ahead and take the time to re uh, realign the data so that it feeds into the register well and is not just doing a bunch of wasted cycles yeah cool huh so well, man so yeah by by the time you add all those little details up yeah you you can be looking at 10 to 20 fold improvement you know i feel I mean, like i feel like cuda huge. is such a good example of listening to the developer community um, yes. And every time there's a new feature that comes out or a new version that comes out, like they, they pack in all the stuff that people have been either complaining about or that like the NVIDIA engineers have seen in practice has turned into, because it must be maddening sometimes to like have all these, all this compute hardware that like the smartest people in the world designed. And then we have developers that just aren't taking advantage of it. And so to build more oh. of these things in automatic um, is just such an instant boost uh, to so many applications out there. That's that's why that's why Nvidia won in the early days, because Nvidia went high level with the developer focus, and they they did CUDA. AMD had, and they still have equally good hardware. They have great GPUs. They they have tremendous compute capability. Um, but their 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 model originally was to go okay let's go low level and focus on the best performance we can get so they went like even they even called it close to the metal in the early days um and and nobody used it it was like well i don't want to use that that's terrible the, the, if you're a dev you're going to go i want to do what's easy i don't right, care if i right. if i have all of the performance yeah yeah um i have a deadline but, i have to get my product out it, yeah, it's like, and who wants to deal with that? You know, nobody does. So, so that, that's how it went. And then the thing that kind of replaced it was OpenCL, and nobody really likes OpenCL. Hmm. <laughs> so there's still an uphill battle. This is uphill battle for uh, Intel too. Sure. Because th that they're going to need that for their own thing because they don't have CUDA. Right. And they're what is it? They're uh, open open AI. Isn't that their their effort for that? Uh, op uh, one? one one API. One API. Okay. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in there, uh, but yeah, but a big part of that is they they're trying to get a uh, framework, and they're they're doing some great stuff. Okay, Intel is formidable. They're they're doing some really good software work right now. Yeah. Um, but but they're desperately trying to get a good programming model for their accelerators, for their GPUs. Um, well, uh, maybe one more question on this before we flip over more to the real-time rendering side of things. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going on oh, no, for a long time awesome. here. Sorry, Kelly. No, this That's is good. Uh, it's amazing how much overlap there actually is because, you know, I think the theme here in the stream is going to be talking about uh, engines listening to developers and building more features in that has yes. able us, you know, to make more amazing products that come out. Uh, one one mm -hmm. question that came up was uh, TF64. Somebody saw that TF64 is listed. Is that really mm -hmm. a, a double precision tensor core or te a data type? It okay. 
I got to get a little bit more details on this because what it looks like to me is it looks like B float. Oh. It, it looks to me like it's 64 that it's it, that it's essentially uh, like they 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 reduced. I don't I don't know how they do this. I, the, yeah, I honestly I don't completely know, but it appears to me like um, the tensor float is essentially cutting the precision for the mantissa in half. Okay. So you still have the range of a, a, a double precision float, um, but you've you've cut the data size way down. Yeah. Um, so that you can get it into those registers and get the FMA cranking on it. Okay. Um, that's what it looks like to me. So you get all the performance um, benefit, but you don't have the, the drawbacks now. Or the, yeah, the yeah. You you can potentially lose some. Pre I I can see you can lose some of the the accuracy that you would have in the mantissa from a double precision. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of places where that does not matter. What matters is overflow and underflow, because you don't want your stuff to blow up. Right. Um, but by doing by they double their performance up to like 20 teraflops by by doing the the TF64. But <clears> man, if you need pure IEEE floating point double precision floating point, they've got it, and it's like almost 10 teraflops. It's crazy. Ridiculous. So this Ridiculous. it's a yeah it's a great CPU. That's a good question though. Because it was, I asked the very same thing when I looked at it. I went, "Whoa, what are they doing there?" Yeah, what's that? <laughs> That's my guess. I might be wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, let's flip over to um, to game dev uh, Kelly. Big All news. Right. Big news in that world too this week. Yeah, everyone's always excited whenever Epic releases a new update to Unreal, and they uh, announced Unreal Five, which will not actually be available until next year. Um. So it's a it's an early look, but also a lot of the stuff they showed off is technically available in Unreal 4.25. Mm. Um, but they're obviously making some changes. For like example, uh, they talked a lot about uh, their new global illumination real time lighting system called Lumen, which they do technically have in Unreal 4.25, but it requires an RTX video card. I see. And during this presentation, there's no mention of RTX. In fact, it's running on the PlayStation 5, which is based off of RDNA 2 from AMD. So I don't know if they weren't very clear on all this stuff. So I don't know if this is um, AMD's version or if this is a version that uh, Epic has developed that will work across multiple types of video cards. I see. Um, so there's still some information to be gained there, but the fact that it is running on an AMD video card is significant because so far NVIDIA has been driving real-time lighting um, with their RTX hardware. So yeah, that you could, like you could redo a lot of the, the lighting stuff they showed in this demo on a, on a um, GeForce RTX but I don't know it'd be quite as good, but it requires that hardware. So this is new in that sense, um, which is always good to have more options because right now in game dev specifically, you would then create this version for RTX, but that's like 5% of your, your customers yeah. have the hardware. So then you have to create the same stuff the old school way for everyone else. So the the big draw to real time lighting is the advancement in like 
the workflow, being able to do it faster, more realistic. Um, but since in game dev, you still have to do it the old way. Yeah. It's not really saving, but for um, film, for right. TV production, all those kind of people, like this is huge for them because they can spend five minutes lighting a scene and it looks perfect versus hours and hours and hours of faking lighting and putting in fake lights and um, simulating the bouncing light when it's not actually bouncing and all that kind of stuff. And is that such a big deal because in those instances they know what hardware they're going to be rendering on and so they can mm -hmm. take the time to build to build out around that technology? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. They can. Um, you mean in the film industry? Yeah, in the film industry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could have just built everything off of um, our text cards and do this, but now they'll be open to anything. And hopefully that means it's not, if it's not hardware dependent and it's software based, then uh, that's easier than um, extrapolate to other softwares. Sure, okay. So like you could, um, I think you can do Corona render in Unreal Engine. So they could easily be able to support all video cards in that renderer as well for GPU rendering without much update. You know, I feel like that's something that not a lot of people understand about game development in general, is that in order to push things forward, you have to introduce these new features before there's a demand. And, mm -hmm. it's, and it's really hard to get developers on board with that. I mean, they might be even like philosophically on board with that, but time is finite. They have a deadline yeah. before they have to get their project out. And so they're going to tackle whatever helps the most people. And what helps yeah. the most people is legacy features. And, yeah. and so then a lot of times, like you have to have these big guys, you have to have like Intel, NVIDIA, AMD, come in and like financially support the the implementation of new features and then people say Definitely. like oh well the game devs are in video's pocket and like well no that's actually kind of the the, the cost of getting a new technology adopted because mm -hmm. the customers aren't going to pay for it yet because it's too too small of a minority of users that could benefit right so it's cool to see yeah. this, this reminds me a lot of like what what uh, don was saying about you know, when things happen a little bit more magically, when you have a, a yeah. feature that can be applied across different hardware architectures, well, now devs will implement it. And that's huge. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And NVIDIA got not a lot, but they got some flack for introducing ray tracing the way they did. And people are saying, well, software is not ready for it. You know, there's no real use cases for this, all that kind of stuff. But someone had to get the hardware out there in order to get someone to develop software for it to make people want it and like it had to start somewhere yeah so they might have you could argue if they were too early to the scene but someone had to do it first just to get it moving and now we're seeing amd is jumping on this um now that unreal has it natively for anything we'll start seeing it in unity and other engines and stuff like that um maybe Autodesk will eventually put it into their software. That would be nice. Yeah. Because they currently don't have that. Um, they still don't support RTX. Yeah. You know, ray tracing. You, you really have to appreciate NVIDIA uh, for, for doing that. Like, it, I don't even want to know how many billions of dollars it takes to do something oh, like yeah. that. And just like the guts it takes. Like, it takes somebody in a leather jacket to have the, the guts to, yeah. <laughs> to, you know, invest billions of dollars into like stimulating a whole new way of approaching things. Right. Well, when they they first announced RTX at SIGGRAPH and with the Quadruline, and I, when they first announced it, I honestly thought that that was going to be 
the Quadro feature and that GeForce wouldn't get it that generation, but then they immediately put it onto the the RTX cards. And so like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's gutsy. A little early. <laughs> like no one's gonna use that, but all right. Yeah. Well and that you <laughs> know, like, and, and the way it played out was kinda like that too, where a lot of people said like, well, I don't know if I'm gonna use it, but mm -hmm. I if I believe that the industry is going there, then I still have enough confidence to buy this new hardware because I trust that it will come out. And then a lot of controversy ended up happening then where like it has been a little bit slow to get other mm -hmm. developers adopting. And so people feel like, well, what I what did I spend all this money on an RTX card for? Like I want more titles right. using it. Yeah. And like one of the, the better features that they came out with was their DLSS, the whatever their super sampling is, deep learning super sampling, yeah. I think it was called. Yeah. Um, that was a really cool feature on paper the first generation of it didn't look great, but it requires enough cycles of running this to for it to learn. Right. And so now the DLSS 2 is significantly better, which is software updates to the existing cards. So. And how do they how do they train the algorithm for that for that upsampling? They, um, from my understanding, they take like 8K versions of an image and then like 40p versions of the same image and just compare them okay. like thousands and thousands and thousands of these So somewhere images. there's a data center just playing games and then, mm -hmm. and then comparing the images and doing training on yep. them. Yeah, they like, um, I'm assuming they're like scripting exact paths so the frames are the same every time. Have one system outputting all these 8K frames, another system putting out lower quality frames and then just doing a comparison. I'm assuming they probably do all the different steps between and do a, right. a range. Um, but yeah, there's probably like every game out there is being played by some machine to learn the super sampling. That still blows yeah, my this mind. Is, yeah, that's yeah. classic machine learning stuff right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, computer vision uh, in the modern era with mm -hmm. AI. And, and yeah, they have to do path following and stuff like that so they don't mess it up mm -hmm. uh, when, when, uh, you know, when they, they, when they resample, when they improve the stuff. But yeah, it's, it's classic modern um, uh, modern machine learning stuff. Yeah. We all made fun It'll... of uh, CSI for saying enhance, zoom and enhance, but you know, right. <laughs> one day maybe. Someday, yeah. Well, man, it's getting better and better and it will just keep getting better. That's the thing. Yeah. Cool. So then the other new thing they showed off was Nanite, which was their their new, I don't know how you say it, their um, way of importing billions of triangles and then dynamically um, lowering the triangle count to something the system can handle. This is again, they sounds really cool. Um, they didn't really explain a whole lot how this is going to work on various hardware. Like how is this going to work on a, a 1060 or something? Like I'm not sure that they'll still be able to handle a 33 million triangle object. Oh, so that's done. Um, that's during, during like the client rendering. That's not a game modeling step. I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that. That's what they weren't clear on because if it's, yeah. if it's during import, then basically you're just kind of doing a slight simplification of what um, the artists are already doing. We already have tools that will decimate a model to whatever poly count. And you can set exactly like, it's actually a slider in, in 3 Studio Max or whatever that you can just slide down to get number of triangles you want and 
watch it real time and see what it looks like and like oh that doesn't look so good i gotta raise it up a bit yeah so i'm not sure what they're doing here um i'm assuming it's something to that effect um they do talk a lot about it's funny they they talked a lot about games with this i assume it's because it's a game engine so that's the easier way to do it yeah they talk a lot about being able to take um the film quality uh photogrammetry uh, objects and import that directly in and it works and from all the game devs i've kind of saw on twitter or talked to they all say that that they'll never allow that to happen on their their games because it's not optimizing the 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 polygons for what they need to do and that even if you can do that if you take a photo scan tree or say a photo scanned rock you're only going to get like the top and sides you're not going to get the bottom that's an empty space because there's nothing there so like you can't reuse that normally you would do the whole thing and you could take that same object and rotate it in different directions and reuse that multiple times and you only have to draw that rock one time and it's just redone over and over mm -hmm. this way like you can't do that it's inefficient it will be great for film because they can then photo scan whatever they want slap it in the engine and run it and everything should work and they can just start producing their stuff really quickly i mean do you think that'll change the balance a little bit of like will we continue to use one rock over and over and over again or will this allow people to do like go more into a scene and like let's just import a thousand rocks um I mean, the number of, so every time you have an object that calls a different texture, that's a draw call. And you can only have so many of those. That's what you tend to run out of memory for because then you then have to start calling things more and more. Um, whereas if you use the, reuse the same rock, you only still only have one draw call, even if you put that same rock a hundred times. Um, so, okay. So even, I mean, with, even with a simpler rock, you're still going to want to use that method then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, um yeah I'm, I'm curious to see how this actually plays out once developers get their hands on it um it sounds really cool and then also talked about like um in one part of the demo they show off this statue that has 33 million triangles um that imported directly from zbrush no normal maps which is also still it's cool <laughs> but also it's just it's a bad workflow. Right. So I don't know. I don't know what they're showing, but a lot of game devs are, I listen to are just like, I mean, that's nice, but we're not going to do it that way. Huh. Because like if the example I gave him, so I, anyone watching on, on the stream right now, I wrote an article that you can go to our blog to look at some of this stuff. Um, but the example I gave in the article was, if you make a an object and you sculpt every little bit of detail into that object in ZBrush and you import that to the engine, it looks fantastic. But then if your art director comes back and says, you know, we don't want that stone anymore. We want that to be wood. You then have to like redo all that modeling because it's built into your mesh. Whereas traditionally you would do a clean mesh and then import it to another program like Substance Painter to put the materials on that it gives that fine micro details. And then, so then if you, your art director says, hey, let's change the material. Right. You just go into ZBrush and you just, it looks like Photoshop. You just like, okay, I'll delete the, the rock material, import wood material and it's done. Still has all this other grime and stuff applied to it. And then you have port, 
you export the normal maps and your model's ready to go in an hour or two. Got it. Um, so like, yeah, you could import the 33 million polygon object, but you're gonna use normal maps anyway, so why would you throw that many polygons in there? You know, it just, it seems inefficient. But maybe the game's, the engine's good enough to handle that. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of apprehension in the game dev industry about handing over so much of that control to the machine to do it for you and not being able to control exactly the final output um, just because it leads to inefficiencies, um, especially with character models, anything that's animated. Um, they spend hours and hours with a character that even like um, like a Thanos in Endgame, the model that they use doesn't have all of his pores like sculpted into the model. That's all a deformation or a displacement map because then they can control that better. Yeah. And so even in a high-end film, like they don't do that. Um, so I'll be interested to see how developers actually use this. Yeah. I'm sure for the film industry, like I said, if you can have this high quality image, this high quality model and import it directly in the engine, then you don't need to go through that step of optimizing and you're not worried too much about frame rate because you're going to set at a certain rate and you don't even care if it takes, you know, five seconds to do that one frame because you're just going to output an exact render at the end anyways. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It, it, it's like either, either that's the, the plan um, that this, mm -hmm. is, this is actually to be used for less, less of the gaming application. Or I wonder uh -huh. if this is another case where it's like it's just ahead of its time. And right. are they actually predicting a workflow five years from now where um, it's actually easier to, I don't know, tell some machine learning algorithm to, to give Thanos more pores than it right. would be to like have this base map that then you, you edit off of? I mean, that could be as well. Like, um, it's going to be interesting to see, like, in, like we've discussed earlier too, how is this going to impact legacy hardware? You know, like if I have this 33 million um, triangle object yeah. with no normal map, and then I have to run it on 1060, is that still going to look good? Like, is it going to decimate it so much down that we've just lost what the normal map would have put in there? Like, how is this, how is this actually going to work on real hardware? Yeah. Hey, uh, Kelly? Mm -hmm. I, I I tell you what I really enjoyed the the your write up in that blog mm -hmm. post because I I watched that um, I I watched that demo and I was like you know I was naively blown away by it mm -hmm. me too and but yeah. I I I didn't really understand a lot of the stuff that was going on even though I do understand what is going on yeah but, I, but uh, your explanation of kind of breakdown of that was really good yeah. And I, I learned a lot from that. Uh, I feel like like it was a great demo. And if they would have like collaborated instead of with PlayStation Four, if they would have collaborated with like um, the people making the Mandalorian for like how they're using Unreal Engine for film work, like I would have been, oh yeah, this makes a lot more sense. Like that's great that they can just take this giant model, throw it in there, and it will take care of everything else for them. They don't have to worry about it. Um, it, it but in little... games, it's always efficiency. That's like the number one thing is like, how can we do this the most efficient? How do we do the fewer number of draw calls? All that kind of stuff. Do, do you think that it was a little bit premature? 
do, do no. releasing a demo like this when it's 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 still 2021 for a release on that right right yeah the the preview was um they said early 2021 and then releases late 2021 oh wow really? you, you so think the timing is right the timing is right on that for announcing um, and, and demoing yes because um so this is running on playstation 5 which comes out the end of this year okay so the preview and final release oh, is for for the average consumer of unreal engine the high-end um, game studios will probably already have access to it soon if they wanted it to. So okay. they can then have a release close to the launch of these new consoles. Sure. Which yeah. So this is kind great. of like trying to get them into it. Yeah, which is probably why they did the demo the way they did. Yeah. Okay. Huh. So yeah, so no beta, no nothing for, for the common folk until 2021? Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's still still quite a ways out. Well, I was gonna they, I was gonna ask you when you were gonna start your benchmarking, but I, I guess twenty twenty one. I gotta. Yeah, be, yeah. Well, since I still have to finish Max Maya Cinema Four D <laughs> and Unity, I think oh. I'll, uh, I'll I'll have time. <laughs> okay. Well, what what was the most exciting feature for for uh, like PC game devs then? Um, the fact that this stuff is not running on Nvidia. Got it. Okay. Um, I mean, even though um, we still don't know what AMD's video cards, next generation video cards are going to be, the RDNA 2 or whatever, um, at least we don't. I don't know if maybe game devs have another insight into that. Um, and even if they come out soon, it's still going to be a while before there's a mass pickup, just like with RTX cards. Um, but the fact that they are more options for cards that can do this kind of stuff is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and even a lot of game devs love developing for specifically for console, and then PCs kind of come later. Mm -hmm. The fact that both um, Xbox and PlayStation have essentially the same video card in them. There's slight differences, but they're both AMD RDNA 2, I think the same amount of video RAM or something. Um, that means that they can focus, like, highly tailor all of their artwork to those consoles. Mm -hmm. So developing for a console would be great because they just need to focus on that one hardware. They don't have to worry about legacy. They can do the efficient way yeah. from the outside. Um, PC will be a little bit longer to, before that's fully ready to go. Interesting that, like, by making this thing open, uh, mm -hmm. That's probably going to drive more uh, development in RTX ray tracing than when it was a walled garden. Yeah, yeah, because I think Windows was working on a uh, ray tracing API, um, but I don't know where they left that off at. In well, I, yeah, because I think that's what uh, Minecraft is using. Oh, is that what it through DirectX? Yeah. And that's, um, that's, out, that's out now, isn't it? Yeah, I think it just came out recently. Okay. okay. I haven't tried it yet because I don't have a RTX. Oh. Um, <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> yeah. Um, now that I'm stuck at home, I can't just be like, hey, let me just look at this one real quick and throw it in a test bed and see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so 
people are already working on kind of a, a general open API, but still that was Microsoft for RTX and specifically for RTX. Like our, NVIDIA has been heavily pushing that Minecraft um, ray tracing. So I wonder if even if um, AMD was to release a graphics card with hardware ray tracing, how long it would take for Minecraft to support it or not? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So is is ray tracing being used pretty ubiquitously at this point in um, in the film industry, or is that still pretty early in the curve as well? Uh, for re- real time, um, I think they're they're jumping on board pretty quickly. Um, not f- necessarily for final renders, um, but for previs is really popular. Oh, okay. Um, now that now that the Mandalorian showed off their system with you doing it real time, I think a lot of people were just like, oh yeah, we need to do that. And so that drove a lot of people to start adopting it. Um, so I think there's been a lot of momentum recently to get into that. And I, I'm sorry, I'm um, not familiar. Did Mandalorian do that in their final renderings or was that just previs as well? No, Mandalorian, so they have a video wall that they predict um, is running real time that they actually film the art, the actors against that video wall, and that's how they do their their environments. Okay. They don't do sound stages. They do persons sitting in front of these giant 360 video walls with the screen above them and everything. Wow, that's cool. And I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it what it does is because it's all um, screens, it's all LED screens that actually projects light. So the the people on the virtual stage can be wearing reflective clothing and it will still reflect correctly because it's picking up the light sources from these screens. And so then they don't have to do all this, like, um, you know, do the lighting after the fact or try to match things. Everything just kind of works. And then um, the camera is tracked to the camera they're using is tracked to the virtual camera in Unreal. So as they move up, it shifts the, per- the perspective on the screen behind them. So that way, it looks weird if you're standing on the stage. Right. You but have to be from at the, the camera's camera. point of view, right. yeah, it looks normal and you would never notice. Now, are they just projecting like the light sources or is it actually like the desert scene? Well, it's actually the desert scene and everything. Okay. So, I mean, that's a big help to the actors too. Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. The actors have said they love it because like they're standing, there's one um, scene where they're um, like in a hangar type thing and there's ships in the background and all this stuff and like they would have taken them months to build that physically and they can just have it in there and then they would like grab a ship move it to the side like change up orientation of rocks in the desert scene to have the framing that they want in the background and everything and they just move around in real time and start filming yeah well, so, okay, so as all this pans out with PlayStation over this, should we be watching what happens with PlayStation titles as, like, the um, precursor to what we might see in the film industry and, and with, with PC games? Uh, to a certain extent. A lot of times when new consoles come out, they, for PC games, um, they kind of, like, leapfrog just a little bit, and then right. PC ends up surpassing them pretty quickly. Um, because they can focus specifically on that hardware um, until the rest of the hardware then surpasses that in a year or something. Um, But for film, I feel like 
they're just on a different level. Um, so I don't think we'd look to what right. we see on the PlayStation and Xbox to see what film people are going to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they're, they're like the Mandalorian computers, they have, from what I could figure out, they had four or five systems that all are connected together to run the one video output. Um, and each of those systems has two Quadro 6000s or Quadro 8000s, I'm not sure, um, just to run this one video wall. Um, so, like, that's just a different league for yeah. <laughs> anything. We got to get in on that. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all it's all in Unreal right now, and there's you can see how to set it up and everything. I just don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, holy cow. I, you know what? I when I agreed to host, oh, wow. I, I thought that it's I'd have a hard time. time filling my time. We have already blown through that hour. <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't realize it was well after two. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, thanks thanks to both of you. This has been yeah, like I said, it, it just flew by. I, I will ask one more question that came up in chat because uh, it'll be entertaining to get the answer. Is Puget Systems going to nab one of the new DGX A100 boxes to test and benchmark? What do you think? Yeah, John, are we going to do that? <laughs> hey, <laughs> you know, let's just take out a mortgage and then we'll buy one. Yeah, for one article. Oh, hey, uh, John, I I might bug you about some some other stuff. I mean, you know, we don't need a DGX uh, uh, A100, but uh, these look really good. You know, actually, that's a, kind of a good exit, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, b- because of this announcement and the way the changes in this architecture, I have my doubts that we're going to see a new like GeForce, if mm-hmm. we're going to see a new consumer card for a while. And I think it might be a different architecture. I don't know if it'll be oh, like modification of Ampere or not. Oh. I think like this might be this the new might, Volta. This is, I think this is replaced. This is definitely a replacement for Volta. Definitely. Um, but there was only one consumer Volta card and that was sure. the Titan V. Sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, this may be another one of those cases. It may be like the next going from Turing to you know another architecture like that that's that's back on the consumer you know, side. as we get more no specialized it definitely seems like we're seeing more divergence from you know what what plays well and what really accelerates workloads in the data center versus like what mm-hmm. plays the games um, mm-hmm. and you know it, it used to be I mean the whole genesis of this right was that okay gaming is the economic engine that drives data center and so the data center just kind of used this like massive compute card that people had in their in their boxes called a video card uh, but mm-hmm. now that it feels like cloud and and like machine learning has enough pull on its own that like it's, it almost feels like it's out of this like startup mode and it's now self-funding and we're going to see things diverge a little more the only reason that I think, I think that so. we might see a Ampere uh, consumer card recently or soon is because of um, what AMD is doing with RDNA 2. Okay. If what we're seeing with the PlayStation is going to be what we can get on desktop um, by the end of the year, then NVIDIA will need to have a, a response. Right. But and you know, even, they also beyond... they're in a good they're in a good enough position that they could they could take a hit for a generation and be fine. True. Yeah, I think they could actually modify the, I mean, they could, could configure uh, Ampere for uh, an outstanding desktop card. I mean, it's still impressive. I mean, even without the mm-hmm. new the new floating point types and all that, you know, it's still memory bandwidth is way up, transistor count is way up. It just The raw horsepower is still an impressive leap. Yeah, it's, it's, 
crazy good. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, to d- directly answer the question, I'm afraid we will not be buying a DGX A100. <laughs> <laughs> However, if we were offered the chance to benchmark on one, I would. I can't imagine us passing up that opportunity. <laughs> Might try to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll let you guys get back out into the the nice sunny day today. Thanks for joining. Oh, we have to go back to work. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Oh, you said sunny day. Okay. Uh, or, or were you talking to the listeners and not a? Uh, yeah. I'm talking to us all, including myself. Okay. Uh, for all of you on the stream that joined us, thank you as always. Thank you for asking your questions, and uh, stay tuned for for next Friday when we'll do this all again. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you. <laughs>